Well, good morning. Please turn with me to the book of Titus. You can see in your bulletin, the focus is going to be on verses 3 through 7. But we will go ahead and read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And before we read, let's pray together. Father, we do cry out with the psalmist, Oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. We do long to be a people who in every way are pleasing to you. The words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, that these things would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. But we know that we are wholly dependent upon you for the grace that we need. So we ask that as we turn to your word, that you would open our eyes by your spirit. We know that the unfolding of your word gives light, that it imparts understanding to the simple. So please grant us the understanding we need by your word to walk in obedience to your commands, that we would be more fully conformed into the image of your son, so that you would be more and more glorified in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read together Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So the last time I spoke, we looked at verses 1 and 2, where Paul instructed, instructed Titus that he was to remind the people of certain things. He was to remind them to live in a certain way as God's people. So you can see there in verses 1 and 2, he told Titus to remind the people to submit to those in authority, to be obedient to any authority over us, They were to be ready for every good work. 
They were not to speak evil and not to speak evil of anyone. And we said how this is not just what comes out of our mouth, but actually what's going on inside our heart. They were to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, not to have a harshness. They were to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Their focus was not to be upon meeting their own needs, but upon meeting the needs of others. And we said that if we were to look at these verses and remove them from the context in which they came, we could come away with a very different understanding, a very different message than what Paul intended. Because if we took these verses out of context, simply isolated them and looked at them, what would be the message that we would gather? We would think that Paul is telling us, just be nice, try a little harder, seek for world peace, which is the same message that we hear circulating around in, in the world, that the, that the goal is just, just be a nice person. But when we understand these verses within the context in which they came, then we see that, no, Paul is not calling us here to moralism. He's not just saying, be a nice person. He also is not saying that we should seek to have this legalistic legalistic pursuit, that we're doing these things in order to God, earn God's favor. Instead, what is he doing? Instead, he is calling us to gospel living. He's calling us to live in light of what God has done for us. And we saw that because the gospel comes before, before these verses, and it also comes after. It comes before in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, where Paul says that God's grace has appeared, and this appearance has brought salvation because Jesus gave himself to redeem us out of all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So the gospel is what uh, brings us to these verses, and as we'll see today, the gospel is then what comes from these verses. Because verses 1 and 2 depend upon verses 3 through 7. And how do we know that? Because if you look at verse 3, how does it begin? In the ESV, it begins with the word for. So verses 1 and 2, Paul's saying, these things you're to remind the people for this is what is true. So what, what we're going to see in verses 3 through 7 is the reason why we are to obey 1 and 2 and also how, we're to, how we are able to obey these things. And what are we going to see? We're going to see the reason why we should live according to verses 1 and 2 as God's people is because of who we were and because of what God has done for us. So in verse 3, Paul says, this is who we were. And because this is who we were, we are to live in this way. But also, and then in verses 4 through 7, he's going to say, this is what God has done. So verse 3 says, this is who we were. Verses 4 through 7 says, but this is what God has done for us. And it's because of those things that we are then to live according to verses 1 and 2. So let's, let's go to verse 3 now and see. So verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So again, the, the, the word for shows that this is Paul's explanation as to why we're to obey one and two. And 
he says that the reason why we're to relate to other people according to verses 1 and 2 is because we ourselves were once just like them. We mentioned the, the last time I spoke, I, we saw how it's relatively easy to do verses 1 and 2 when we like someone or when a person is kind. It's relatively easy to submit to authorities when we agree with them, to, to be gentle with those who are gentle with us, to avoid quarreling with people who are peaceable. But when someone is hostile, when the government is not what we would want them to be, when people are ungrateful and harsh towards us, then it is very difficult to do verses 1 and 2. But what does Paul say? The reason why we are to live according to verses 1 and 2, the reason why we're to submit, we're to obey, we're to be gentle, we're to seek for peace, even with these people who are so difficult to do that with, is because we ourselves were once just like them. And how were we? How were we prior to coming to Christ? What does he say in verse 3? He says, we were foolish, meaning that we had no regard for God, no fear of God, And we rejected the truth of God for a lie because we wanted to live for ourselves. We were disobedient, so we had no respect for authority because we wanted to be in charge. You know, we we see that with kids. We teach children, no, you're not in charge. But the problem is, as adults, we do the same thing. And Paul says, this is who we were by nature. We wanted to be in charge. We were disobedient. Third, he says that we were led astray or deceived. By nature, we are enslaved by Satan and we are blinded by him. In in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, Paul says how that Timothy was to, to instruct his opponents so that they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Or in Ephesians 2, he says how we were following the prince of the power of the air. So we were led astray by nature. We were deceived by nature. We were blinded and could not see the truth. What else? He says that we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. So we, we followed our heart. We did what we wanted. We simply let ourselves go, following whatever we wanted to do. And we thought by that that we were free, but in reality we were enslaved. Fifth, he says that we passed our days in malice and envy. So we spent our time desiring what other people had and hating them because they had it and we did not have it. And that then is the last point. He says that we were hated by others and we hated one another. In John, he says that that we lived in darkness because we did not love, but we lived in hatred. This, he says, is who we were apart from Christ. And while here he just briefly briefly states these points, in Romans 1 through 3, he, he elaborates on this and he explains and defends the fact that all people are under sin. Those who have the law are under sin because we are not able to obey what God has commanded. But even people who do not know God's word, do not know God's law, are condemned and under sin because God has clearly shown himself in creation. 
So all people know he exists, and yet all people have willingly rejected him because we do not want to submit to his authority. We want to follow our own desires. And so in Romans 3, he concludes that section by saying this. Romans 3, verse 9, he says, He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then he says in verse 19 that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So who are we by nature apart from Christ? We are under sin. We are condemned and subjected to God's wrath. And we stand before the throne of God without any hope of defense. Our mouth has been stopped. We cannot say anything before the throne of God because we are guilty, all of us. Now, when I read a a book with my son, at this point, I would close it and say, and that's the end of the story, right? We walk out of here, And what was the message about? The message was about how all of us are condemned. All of us are under God's judgment because all of us have sinned. And he says, no, that's not not the end. And he's trying to open the book because he knows there's more. Because that's not the end of the story. Because there's actually good news that has come. Before, though, we look at that good news, I just want us to reflect on a few questions in light of these things. The, the first is just, why is it important for us to remember who we were? So Titus was to remind the people of these things. He was to remind them not just about how they were to live, but he was also to remind them who they were. And why is it important for us to remember that? Well, as we've noted a couple times, verse 3 begins with the word for, which shows that we do verses 1 and 2 because of verse 3. So the degree to which we see and the degree to which we really know verse 3 to be true is the degree to which we will obey verses 1 and 2. So if we do not see verse 3, if we do not really grasp that, then we will not live out verses 1 and 2. By contrast, if if we grasp who we were, then by God's grace, we will be able to live out verses 1 and 2. So, consider this with, with, regard, with regard to your kids or your spouse or your neighbors or in-laws or the authorities. If we find in ourselves that there is a, a critical, harsh spirit within us, if we do not have this, this humility, if if we find that we are disregarding the position someone holds, then it's showing that we have lost sight of or we have never truly grasped who we were. In 
In the book of Deuteronomy, we see something similar to this. Several times in Deuteronomy, God's, God calls the, called the people to live in a certain way. And he said that you are to live in this way because of who you were, because of what was true of you. So one example is in Deuteronomy chapter 24. In verses 17 and 18, God said through Moses, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. So he said, you're, you're to give justice to the sojourner or the, or the alien. You're to give justice to the fatherless, to the orphan. And you're not to take something from a widow. Why? He said, because you yourselves were once a slave. You yourself were once an exile. You yourself were once abandoned and forsaken, but I took you in. So because of who they were, this is how they were to live. And that is what Paul then is, is doing here in Titus. Is he is, he's telling Titus, remind the people, this is who you were. And in seeing who they were, they would then live in a different way. They would have a heart of compassion. They would have this gentleness and, and this humility. And you can, you can also think about that just when, when we go through something hard or we've, or we've struggled with some, some sin, we like it when we find someone else who had that same struggle. Why? Because we believe they will be able to understand what we're going through. And what is Paul's point? His Paul, Paul's point is ultimately all of us have, are guilty of the same thing. So ultimately all of us have the same, same root issue so we should be able to understand whatever someone's going through. And that's, that then brings us to another thing to reflect on. is What about if you, if you were to say to yourself, you know what, I don't see myself in this way. I don't see myself according to verse 3. I see myself as a basically good person. Sure, sure I do bad things once in a while, but overall, just like all people, I consider myself to be basically good. What should we realize? Well, just consider the fact that though we, though we think that we perfectly understand ourselves, that we have a perfect understanding of who, who we are, the truth is we don't. Jeremiah 17 says what? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So we do not truly grasp who we are. We do not truly grasp the depth of our sin. But there is one who perfectly understands us. There is one who perfectly searches us. God knows exactly what is going on inside of our heart. And he is the one who has given this diagnosis. You know, we can feel perfectly fine, but then something is found and, and then we realize, oh no, something is wrong. And that is, God's word gives us that diagnosis. We can walk around thinking, I'm not, I'm not under under sin, I don't, there's no condemnation coming. But then God's word says what? No, this is what is true. This is the true diagnosis about who we are. Verse 3 really is who we are apart from God's grace. Also realize that if we stumble in one area, that we are guilty of all. 
That's what James says in James 2.10. He says, Whoever keeps the whole law but but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So we might we might look at this list and say, yeah, you know what? I can I can kind of see I can see some foolish things that I did in the past that that were not the best. But you know, I didn't live in hatred. I was I was a generally loving person. What is the truth? Well, if we if we see foolishness in our heart, then we are just as capable of hatred. Because if, if there's one sin within us, then we are ultimately capable of any sin. Why are we not all as Hitler? Because we're better than him? Only because of God's restraining grace. Apart from God's grace, that is where all of us would be. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we see what? There is pride within our heart. We are as, as the Pharisee that Jesus described in, in Luke, Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he goes on to describe this Pharisee who comes and stands before God and says, God, you know, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I, I, I give, I, I, I tithe, I, I fast. And he's, he's describing there the fact that this man believed he was righteous in and of himself. That he was actually able to keep God's law, that he walked in obedience because of his own strength. By contrast, Jesus says there was a tax collector who stood before God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That he knew, just like what Paul said in Romans 3, that his mouth had been stopped. He had no plea before God except to plead for mercy. So when we see this list, we would need to realize this is God's diagnosis of us. So even if we don't see that or, or feel that, that is what is true about us. But what? But when... We see that, again, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus calls us to come to him for rest. When we are burdened by sin, when we are burdened by the fact that we have been convicted and condemned, Jesus says, now come to me to find the rest you need. And, and that is what we see actually is what, what took place here. So though this is who we were, Though we were condemned and under sin, God did something about it. So, verse 4 now. Verse 3, this is who we were, but now, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So what what happened? Why Why are we now different? Was it because we decided to start being nice or start started to try to live in a different way or to try harder or do religious things? No, it wasn't anything in us that made the difference. It was the fact that God's goodness and His love appeared. He showed His goodness and His love. And when He showed forth His goodness and His love, what did He do? He saved us. 
So, again, the tendency is to say, yeah, even if I was this way, even if verse 3 described me, I did something about it. You know, we can see people and we can think, why don't they just get their act together? Or why don't they do something about what's going on? And the assumption is what? Just like I did. That I may have been in that position, but I did something about it. That's not what Paul says. He says, we were in this position, but God did something about it. His goodness, his love appeared. And when it appeared, he saved us. And what is involved in this salvation? Paul describes the, the, the basis on which God saved us, the means by which he saved us, and the reason why he saved us. So notice the, the basis. Why did God save us? Verse 5, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So God did not save us because of something in us. God saved us because of something in him. There wasn't something that distinguished us from others. So it wasn't there's this big group of sinful humanity and God sees that there's something different about these people here. Something that distinguished us from the others. No, it wasn't something that was done by us. Instead, it was simply because of the mercy of God. And this is what Paul says in Romans 9 as well. After describing the fact that God chose, um, God chose Jacob and not Esau. There's this question, what then is God, uh, is there injustice in God? And, and Paul says in Romans 9, 15 or 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So God is sovereign, and He chooses to show mercy to whom He desires. And that mercy which He shows does not depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon our will. It doesn't depend upon our works. It simply depends upon him sovereignly cho- choosing to show us mercy. So again, this, this, this blob of sinful humanity, what does God do? He chooses to justly punish others, and he chooses to graciously show mercy to others. And what is it that distinguishes that group? It's not something in us. It's not that we were or more righteous, or more attractive. No, it was despite who we were that God chose to show us mercy. And if we had done something that inclined God to choose us, then there would be reason for us to boast. Then we could look at others who are still living in verse 3 and say, yeah, but I did something. They're enslaved, they're foolish, but why don't they just become smart? Why don't they just do something about it? Why don't they break free from these bonds? Just like I did. If we did that, then we could boast. Then we could despise others. But because it is wholly the result of God's sovereign mercy, we cannot boast in that way. We cannot have that arrogant despising of others. 
And if we do, then it shows we have lost sight of who we were and what God has done for us. So if we're to, if we're to grow in living out verses 1 and 2, we need to consider who we were and what God has done for us. We need to consider the fact that we were God's enemies, and yet He loved us and gave His Son for us. We need to consider how we owed God an infinite debt, but He forgave us completely of that. And as we strive in in living out verses 1 and 2, we need to also remember that we ever and always depend upon God's mercy and grace. It is God's mercy which covers all of our sins, and it's God's grace which strengthens us to live live in obedience to Him. So, Paul says here the, the basis on which God saved us. And this, this gives us a pattern as to how we are to relate to other people. Just as God relates to us on the basis of mercy, not on the basis of works, so He calls us to do the same with those around us. Not to relate to them based upon their performance, but instead to relate to them based on, on mercy and grace. But Paul says then in verse 6, how God saved us. He says, whom he, uh, end of verse, end of verse 5 and then verse 6. End of verse 5 he says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, Jesus' work on our behalf resulted in our justification, as Paul says in verse 7. It resulted in our being declared righteous in God's sight, which is this external legal declaration that we are righteous before God. We are no longer guilty, no longer condemned, but we are righteous before Him. However, Jesus' work also brings about an internal transformation. It's not just external, it's also internal, that By the Spirit, we are internally transformed. We are regenerated. We are renewed. We are made alive. He gives us new life. He makes us new creation. And He empowers us to walk in obedience to God's commands. This is what we saw not uh, too long ago from Hebrews. I think it was three weeks ago when Pastor Rob described the new covenant and how in the new covenant, it's not just external laws any longer, but it's God giving us the Holy Spirit and that He changes us on the inside so that we now long to obey God's Word, that we have a desire to, to, to honor God in all that we do. And so if we, are to, if we are to live out verses 1 and 2, we need to remember the fact that we have been renewed and we have been washed by the Spirit. We have been washed so we have been cleansed and purified of all sin. You can see how that's just what Paul said at the end of chapter 2 of Titus. How Jesus gave himself for us in verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we have been purified, we have been washed of who we once were. So regardless of of the things that we were defined by before we came to Christ, we now in Christ have a new identity. So often we point to just our our personality or our nationality 
or just how we have lived our lives, and we say, "What well, this, this is just who I am. This is just my, my personality type, my nationality, my, the way I've always been. But the truth is that we have been washed in Christ, so that is no longer who we are, that we have been made new. It's what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11, he said, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he says, these things once defined us. This is who we once were, but now in Christ we have been made new. We have been washed. This is no longer our identity. I've heard people describe how at... uh, at the beginning of an AA meeting, you're to introduce yourself and say, I am so-and-so, and I am an alcoholic. Because the belief is that if this is who you were, you will always be that. You can try to manage it, try to control it, but you are still defined by that. What does Paul say? No, that is who you were. You may have been a drunk, But now in Christ, you have been made new. Now your identity is no longer that. It is washed. It is justified. It is sanctified. That that is our new identity. And so we need to remember that, lest we have this tendency in thinking, well, this is who I was, and so this is who I will always be. No, we have been made new. We have been washed But he also says we have been renewed, that we have been given this new life. We were once dead and enslaved to sin, but now we have been given new life in Christ. That by the Spirit, we actually are able to obey God's commands. We can live out verses 1 and 2 because we have been given new life. God sets the perfect example of how we're to relate to other people, relating to them on the basis of mercy and grace, not dealing with us according to our sins. But if we didn't then have the strength to do that, we would just be crushed by his perfect example. No, God sets the example for us, and then he grants us the Holy Spirit who strengthens us and empowers us to say no to sin and to walk in obedience to God's commands. Last now, he says why God saved us in verse 7. Titus 3, verse 7 so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So God declares us to be righteous on the basis of grace. He saves us by His mercy. And why did He do that? So that we could become heirs. So that we could be those who inherit eternal life. And this is a life that we have now, but which has not yet been fully Uh, Revealed, and we do not yet fully possess it. And so we have it by hope. We have this confident assurance based on God's promises and character 
that we will have eternal life. That on that day when we stand before Him, we will not be condemned, but we will be welcomed into His presence forever. And in His kingdom, we will, we will have perfect joy. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. All sickness will be gone. All sin will be gone. That's, I don't, in come, come Thou Fount, there's that last line that, I don't know, but something about that when death and sin are no more, that day will come. And on that day, the best part is what? That we will see Him, and forever we will be with Him. We will always be with the Lord. And it is that hope that then drives us in this life to pursue holiness, to pursue love, that we are able to love those who do not love us because we know that this life is not all there is. That we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So we strive to live in this way because we know that there's something bigger. If the government is not how we would want it to be, we know that's not the end of the world. Because there is a kingdom beyond this world. And there is a God who reigns over all. And it's in seeing that then, it's in having that hope that we will diligently seek to live these lives that please Him. So let's just close by reading um, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul calls us not to be united together with those who are in darkness with, with unbelievers, that we're not to have that, that unity, that covenant with them. Because he says that we are, temple, we are the temple of the living God. And so we'll read chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, 16 to 7, 1. It says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Then he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So it's as we see the hope that we have in Christ that we are then compelled to strive after this holy life that pleases Him. It's when we see eternity that all the things of this world become so small that they are put in their proper perspective. When something devastating happens, or even I mean, something so small as getting in an argument about where, which way the toilet paper should face, or how the, how the dishwasher should be loaded. Those things can seem so ginormous. But then when we compare that in light of eternity, in light of the hope that we have in Christ, in light of all that we have, then we see, oh, now I see. And so now, by God's grace, I can live in humility. Now, by God's grace, I do not have to speak evil against them. Because I know the hope that I have in Him. So 
we see who we were, that we were condemned and under sin, but we see what God has done for us. And he did that for us on the basis of mercy. He did it by transforming us by his spirit. And he did it by giving us this wonderful hope of eternal life. And so as we remember those things, then by God's grace, we can do what Paul has called us to do and what God calls us to do as his people. So let's pray together. Father, we know that we are so prone to pride. We are so prone to self-righteousness. We are so prone to trusting in ourselves and so treating others with contempt. Please grant us grace by your Spirit to really see who we were, to really see that we were fools, we were deceived, we were enslaved, and yet you showed us mercy and so saved us. So that by your Spirit, by this new life we have been given, we would walk in obedience to your commands, we would honor you in all things as we hope for that day when forever we will live with you, when we will have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, when we will feast on the abundance of your house and drink from the river of your delights, when we will see your face and your name will be on our foreheads, and we will always be with you. Grant us to see that hope that we have so that we would in all things honor you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.